Good morning, church. You know what is awesome about preaching here? It's that when I preach with middle schoolers, they never respond to anything I say. (laughs) It's this call and response that we've kind of trained churchgoers into, but middle schoolers haven't clicked in. So if I say like, oh, I'm so excited to see you all, welcome, they don't respond. They kind of just blow past me. Um, I'm excited. And honestly, I think that you should all be excited at the 9 a.m. service. The only time I dress like this is when I preach with you. So um, you're welcome. Um, more than anything, I'm excited uh, that I get to preach, uh, and I'm excited that Paul trusts me enough, even though he decides to leave town when I want to preach. So he just gets ready for the firestorm of emails. So that's okay. Um, but I want to share a little bit about uh, me as we start to dive in further and further into what it means to walk with Jesus through the Sermon on the Mount. Um, So a little therapy session, I'm going to divulge and confess and do all the things I like to do. Um, When I was 23, I was graduating college, 22, 23. Uh, And as I was graduating, uh, I felt this push towards a short-term mission trip that my school was putting on. Um, I'm not a big fan of short-term mission trips, but at this moment, for some reason, I felt this push towards doing this. And so I went into the office and I said, hey, I'm going to apply. Just put me wherever you think I should go, and we'll just say that God put me there. And so as they did that, um, they they called me. They said, you've been accepted. Uh, And I said, awesome, where? And they said, I can't tell you. Great. Um, And so we get to the mission uh, chapel that we were going to where they're announcing the teams. Every team gets announced and they have their pictures on uh, this TV uh, and the country. And then it comes to my team and it just says unknown. And I was like, oh, this is, this is going to get really scary very quickly. And so uh, we finally have our first team meeting or team training. And they said, okay, we are going to do two things, and then I'm going to tell you where you're going. Our team training started with kidnapping training and terrorism training. And I thought, wow, this is awesome. Let's do this. And so they, they finally divulged, you're going to the Middle East for about three and a half, four weeks. And I said, okay, great. Which country? They said, sorry, you can't know that. I was like, oh my gosh, okay, great. And they said, before you leave, do not post anything on social media. We don't want to give you away. We don't want um, people knowing that you're coming. And so I said, okay, let's do this. And then we finally found out that we were going to Amman, Jordan, um, which I loved Amman, Jordan so much. And it was an incredible experience. Uh, We ministered by being basically undercover missionaries. Uh, You can only preach the gospel when people aren't looking kind of thing. We ran a cafe. We taught English. We had encounters with other people that were living secretly for Jesus, and it was an amazing experience. Uh, But more than anything, we had to love on a team, uh, the mission team there. Uh, But at the, the last day, this is where the story really kicks in, and I hope you don't judge me for these decisions. I'm so sorry. Um, the last day, they take us to the Dead Sea. And they said, hey, you've done a lot of great work. We want to take you just like a little debrief, and then you can go get in the waters and do whatever you're going to do. As you walk onto the, this area, this resort-style area, um, there are signs that say, don't, don't get in the water all the way above your head. 
uh, the sand is hot, and then a bunch of other warnings that I didn't pay attention to. Uh, so we get in the water, and it takes all of about five seconds for my team and I to say, okay, who's going to dunk their head in the water? And I have to tell you, my mom would tell you right now that I have never followed rules, ever. And so I was the one that dunked their head under the water. It took five, ten seconds, maybe, of getting in that water. I came up with the incredible burn. My eyes were on fire. My lips were burning. My skin was just like, it felt like it was deteriorating. Um, And then you have to then swim to shore blind, and the sunlight is making it worse, and then you got to crawl across this hot sand and get to this, um, what I would call a fountain of youth that was pouring out clean water to kind of rinse it off. Um, The hard part is um, you see your sin in front of you. So like as it's washing, there's a sign that says, we told you not to dunk your head. (laughs) Uh, But I never listened. Um, But it was this thing that like I, I, I wanted to share that because I hope that you take away from that a moment of we need to live like salt and light, not break rules like Abe. However, what I would say is I think there's a tendency at times that we go overboard with the type of salt and light that we choose to live as. That we may push it to the extreme and push it past where Jesus actually intended us to go. And so we we find ourselves in the Sermon on the Mount, and we're about to dive headfirst into this. Um, And we're going to talk through what it looks like to actually be that, but be what Jesus asked. But pray with me. Jesus, uh, we thank you for the Sermon on the Mount. We thank you for all that you have given us and everything that you've done for us. We pray that you would speak today, that your spirit would chip away the rough parts of our heart. Amen. Uh, We are in Matthew chapter 5, and it goes like this. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house in the same way Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This comes following the Beatitudes in which Paul has been preaching for the past two weeks, which is kind of this blueprint for the Christian life, kind of things that we should be, things that we should do, not as a checklist, but a devotion for and a devotion to the love of Christ. And so following the Beatitudes, where it kind of gives us these things, we now have salt and light. And from that verse, we're really going to just focus on what it looks like to be salt and what it means to be light. See, when this verse in this passage first starts, it doesn't say you are called to be anything. It says you are. And I think that we have to restructure how we think about that. If you follow Jesus, you don't have to be called this. You already are this. Those go hand in hand. So if you follow Jesus, you are salt. If you follow Jesus, you are light. But why is he talking about salt? That seems like such a crazy thing to call people. I think he does it because it's massively important in this culture. Two things come to mind immediately. One, we find in Leviticus 2.13, a moment where salt is used as a purification. 
Salt is used for offerings because there was a sincerity that needed to happen, that you would take salt, put it on any offering, so that it was a salt covenant between you and God. You were purifying something before you gave it to God. I have never put salt on anything before I gave it to God, so that's a weird thing to look at in Leviticus. But then it goes on and it says, you're also, as a part of this, you, it's like the preservation aspect. They didn't have refrigerators in uh, this time. I don't know if any of you knew that. Um, what comes to mind, there's always that scene where you see like in commercials, like someone waking up in the middle of the night and like going to the fridge. I do it regularly. My wife would be upset. Um, but it makes, it makes me laugh because it was like in the ancient Near East, they would just go and dig up their thing and like brush the salt off to have a snack in the middle of the night. That's what that makes me think of. But two things that we are called to as a part of being salt is preservation and purification. As a part of that, when Jesus does say that you are salt, he does this boxing move that I like to say. He says, hey, look over here. You're salt. Uppercut. But what good is salt if it's lost its saltiness? You are this thing, but what good are you if you don't live as if you are this thing? Jesus is saying that you are massively important to this world just like salt is. You are massively important to give people seasoning and flavor to help purify and make sure that God is accepting of this. And you're here to preserve the teachings that I have. That's why we're called salt. And then he does the same thing with light. He says, you are light. Same kind of boxing move. Your light, uppercut. Why would you hide your light? Light in the ancient Near East, one of the most massively important things because uh, it is dark. I don't like going out to the country when it's like pitch black and there's no street lights. That freaks me out. That was the entirety of the Middle East is what it felt like back then. And so when he says that you are light, what he's really saying is you are the thing that is going to give people who are blind sight. You are the thing that will be able to lead them where they need to go. But he also has a little caveat that's thrown in there talks about covering it with a bowl and how we wouldn't do that. I think that Jesus has a secondary thing that's happening here where he says, if you want to be light and you are this light and you cover it and you don't share that, what happens when you cover a candle? It grows dimmer and dimmer until it's out. What do you think is going to happen when you are called light and you cover that? It will grow dimmer and dimmer until it's out. And so Jesus is being very clear with the people here about describing how important they really are. I would say that you and I, myself included, I like to include myself with this, have a tendency, however, and it's one of the greatest sins of the church, I think. We have a tendency to go overboard and do far more than what Jesus has asked us to do. Last week, um, I rarely get to hear Paul's sermons because I'm with the middle schoolers, but last week I got to hear the beginning of it and how he had talked about people leaving the church. Can I possibly pose this? That the reason that they're leaving the church is because they came to encounter Jesus, but they came and encountered people that were way too salty and they encountered the church. They came for the love of Christ. They were met with us. And sometimes 
whether we like it or not, we don't exude that love that we should, which is hard. It's a hard piece that I have to chip off my heart because sometimes we just don't do that. That sometimes that Jesus has called us to be salt and light, we have been called and pushed and told that we are to be this ocean where life breathes and there's coral and sea life and things can happen, but instead we go overboard and we become the dead sea where nothing can survive. And then we question, why are people leaving? What was it about this that they didn't want to be a part of? See, the problem with salt and the problem with light, too much salt burns you, hyper-focused light burns you. There's this, there's this give and take that needs to happen. With my leaders, I, I run middle school. Um, with my leaders, I absolutely love them. I love taking care of my leaders. Care for volunteers is one of my favorite things. Um, but I always tell them that there's this poison and antidote thing that we work with. In middle school, you can guess that there's just a low hum of voices always. When I'm talking, when worship is happening, like just a low hum. And that's okay. I've learned to deal with it. Um, Each one of my leaders has a special gifting. One of them is a hype person. One of them is really good at relational ministry. Some of them are good at planning events. The poison and antidote thing says this, that your antidote and your gifting is also your greatest weakness. I would not send someone who, had, who like is really good with energy into a room thinking they're going to preach the gospel. No, what they will do is get that room bumping and get music going and kids laughing and everything. But then I wouldn't require them to also teach because what happens is their biggest poison is they then can't settle down. I struggle with that constantly. My, my toxic trait or my biggest poison is that I'm the reason that all the kids are laughing and loud and everything, but I'm also the person that's trying to preach the gospel. Those don't really work. Um, but it's something that I love. Secondarily, one of the things that um, I look at in Scripture when I think about this antidote and salt and light and this, this thing that we're in is one of my favorite things about Scripture. It's Paul. Paul does this amazing thing where he is salt and light, but is still out to reach the unchurched, the unredeemed person. He is still out to get more people to know Jesus. And how he does this is in three instances, he uses Greek poets and philosophers and quotes it back to people to teach about the gospel. Now, if your immediate reaction was, Paul doesn't do that, I couldn't think that that was in Scripture, then you better not read Acts 17, 28, 1 Corinthians 15, 33, and Titus 1, 12. Because those are the moments in which Paul is quoting back these things to reach a people that don't know Jesus. Not losing his saltiness, but even more showing his light so that he has a connecting point with those that don't know Jesus. We as the people of God cannot become so salty with accountability, so salty with judgment that people don't want to enter into this. We can't become so salty that we are just worthless. 
Jesus interacted with people and he met them where they were. He built relationship and only then did he hold things accountable. The problem when we become so salty is we become so heavenly minded that we are of no earthly good. I'm going to say that again. We don't want to become so heavenly minded that we are of no earthly good because Jesus was very clear with the Great Commission. Go out into all the world. But that requires us to be in a little moment of give and take. That requires us to be in a spot where we're willing to be salt and light but also be accepting. In Sunhouse... One of my favorite things about what we do is we have Christians and non-Christians alike that come in. It's a scary zone because you hear things that you're like, wow, this is shocking that a middle schooler would say that. Um, But it's also this cool spot where we take the gathered and the scattered and they collide. We have those that know Jesus well. We We have those that have no idea who Jesus is. And they come together, and they collide in one spot. And we've done this by being this salt and light to the community around us so that we can reach out to more and more people. So the question then is, what does it look like to live like Jesus in this? Application is key for me when I talk to middle schoolers, and so I use that here. What does it actually look like to live like Jesus when you're called and told that you are already salt and light? I would say that it means living in a way that would make him proud, meeting the disenfranchised, defending the outsider. This one's tough. Washing the feet of the sinner. With the story of Jesus washing the feet, it's really hard to wash someone's feet while looking in their eyes and telling them that they're wrong. Jesus just focused on washing their feet and moving them along. And it's about seeing through the eyes of Jesus and seeing what he sees and seeing what he actually has called us to be. And it's about really being the salt and light that he tells us that we are. Pray with me. Father, we love you, and we thank you for all that you've done in and through us. We pray that you would shape us more and more, that you would correct those things in us, that you would give us grace not only for others but for ourselves, and that you would speak truth and light to our souls. We love you. Amen.